Morning, everybody. Morning. Thanks, guys, for leading us so helpfully in worship. That's great. Far away in the tropical waters of the Caribbean, two prawns were swimming around in the sea, one called Justin and the other called Christian. The prawns were constantly being harassed and threatened by sharks that inhabited the area. Finally, one day, Justin said to Christian, I'm fed up with being a prawn. I wish I was a shark. Then I wouldn't have any worries about being eaten. But a large, mysterious cod appeared and said, your wish is granted. And lo and behold, Justin turned into a shark. Horrified, Christian immediately swam away, afraid of being eaten by his old mate. Time passed as it invariably does, and Justin found life as a shark boring and lonely. All his mates would simply swim away whenever he came close to them. Justin didn't realize that, this new, that his new menacing appearance was the cause of his sad plight. While swimming alone one day, he saw the mysterious cod again, and he thought perhaps this mysterious fish could change him back into a prawn. So he approached the cod and begged to be changed back, and lo and behold, he found himself turned back into a prawn. With tears of joy in his tiny eyes, little Justin swam back to his friends and bought them all a cocktail. (laughs) And looking around the gathering at the reef, he realized that he couldn't see his old friend. Where's Christian, he asked. He's at home, still distraught that his best friend changed sides to the enemy and became a shark, came the reply. Eager to put things right again and end the mutual pain and torture, he set off to Christian's abode. And as he opened the coral gate, memories came flooding back. He banged on the door and shouted, it's me, Justin, your old friend, come out and see me again. Christian replied, no way, man, you'll eat me, you're a shark now, you're the enemy, I'll be tricked into being your dinner. Justin cried back, no, I'm not. That was the old me. I've changed. I found cod. I'm a prawn again, Christian. (laughs) Sorry, folks. God's eternal plan has always been to change you and me so that we are like Jesus. That is God's eternal plan is to change you and me to be like Jesus. And if you've never heard that before, if you don't know Jesus, then this morning he wants you to come into a relationship with him so that you can begin that process of following Jesus and becoming like him. And we do that first and foremost by surrendering our lives to Jesus, acknowledging that we're sinners, bowing down at the foot of the cross and asking him to forgive us and come into our lives. That's the beginning of that process. For most of us here this morning, that's probably something we've already done. If you haven't done that, then I'd encourage you to take that step this morning. God wants us, and he's made it possible for you to become like Jesus. He wants and desires that we should be always changing and growing so that we're constantly becoming more like Jesus. And the only person in the world that can stop that happening is you. No one else in the world can prevent you from becoming like Jesus. Only you can. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and there's an outline on your seat or or near you, so if you find those helpful, they're there for you, and all the verses will be up on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes these words, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing, increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God wants you and me to constantly mature and to grow in our relationship with Jesus so that we become more and more like him. The idea is that if we know and love Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then when people look at us, 
what they should be increasingly seeing is a mirror image of Jesus, not in terms of how Jesus looked. We don't even know how Jesus looked anyway, but in terms of his character, his behavior. God's plan for our lives is to become more and more like Jesus. And Paul makes this clear in Romans 8.29. The Living Bible translation puts it like this. From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and he knew who would should become like his son. Now, we need to be absolutely clear. He's not saying that we're going to be uh, a God. We'll never be a God. But he does want us to become godly. We're not going to be a God, but we can become godly. He wants us to to develop the character, the values, the behavior of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons that God put us here on this planet. It's to help us, firstly, come to know Jesus, and secondly, to become like him. Ephesians 4.15 talks about us growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. From the moment we give our lives to Jesus, we're meant to grow and develop and become more and more like him. The babies are cute, aren't they? But babies aren't meant to stay babies. And just as babies are meant to grow and to develop physically, mentally, and, and spiritually, and emotionally into uh, adults, so God wants us to grow, to mature, and to develop spiritually. God wants us to grow and to develop spiritually. What does spiritual maturity actually look like? What does that look like in practice? When we look at Jesus, then we see what we're aiming for. When we look at the life of Jesus, that is our goal. God wants us, God wants me, God wants you to become like Jesus. God put you and me on this planet to know Jesus and to become like him. But this doesn't happen overnight. It's not a magical process that just happens. Because even though God chooses to view those who's trusted in his son as being as perfect as Jesus, our actual lives, if your life is anything like mine, are still very unlike Jesus. I have good good days when I'm a bit more like Jesus, but often there's a lot of me that's not like Jesus. And and so God leads us through a process, and it's called discipleship. And it's an entire lifetime, and its end goal is for you and me to become like Jesus. So how does God help me and you become like the Lord Jesus Christ? How does that happen? Well, one of the tools he uses is the Bible. And if you really want to grow spiritually, you have to get into this book. You have to, to read this book. And not just to read it as a textbook or a, theology, a kind of theological statement and to learn facts, but actually to meet Jesus in this book. If you're just reading your Bible just to kind of get knowledge, well, knowledge is good, but knowledge puffs up. We're trying to meet Jesus, the living Lord Jesus in his living word. You need to get into this book, study it, memorize on it, uh, meditate on it, and apply it to your life because it takes truth to transform us. And we need to get into the truth of the Bible. It's essential. It's essential that every day we are investing our time studying and reading and meeting Jesus in the Bible. But God also uses people. And that's why it's important that we hang out with other Christians. When we spend time together, then we learn from each other and we grow together. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. But God uses more than just the Bible and other Christians. Look at Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. What is God's purpose for you? What's God's purpose for me? It's that we should become like his son. That is God's number one purpose for us here on planet earth. God works all things for good to make us like Jesus, to know him and to become like him. But does that include bad things? Does that include painful things? Does this all things that God is at work in, does that include bad stuff? Does that include painful things? Does it even include the mistakes that we make in sinning? 
Well, yes, it does. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And at the heart of being a disciple of Jesus is the concept of God disciplining us. A disciple is someone who receives discipline to help them grow. The words discipline and disciple are almost the same. They came from the same root word. We can't be a disciple of Jesus unless we're prepared to receive God's discipline. If you, do, if you don't want God's discipline, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. We need to be prepared to receive God's discipline, which is sometimes painful and difficult, if we claim to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, you know, unless you're prepared to abandon your family, you can't be my disciple. Unless you're prepared to carry your cross, you can't be a disciple. You can't be my disciple. At the heart of what it means to follow Jesus and be his disciple is to receive God's discipline. So I want us to look at three tools of discipline that God uses to help us be more like Jesus. And we're actually going to see them in action in the life of Jesus himself. Last week, we looked at Hebrews 12. And we saw that if we've trusted in Jesus, then we've become God's children. He's adopted us into his family. And just like a wise father will discipline his physical children, so God, who's our heavenly father, disciplines us. And the reason that he does that is so that we grow and mature and become more like Jesus. And this morning, we're going to just take a pause. We've been going through Hebrews over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue in a f- over the next few weeks. But we're just going to take a pause from Hebrews a little bit this morning to delve a little bit deeper into what I said last week from Hebrews 12 to look at what God's discipline in the lives of Jesus' disciples looks like. What does it mean to be a disciple and to receive God's discipline? Let's look at that in a bit more depth this morning. If we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he had trouble in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had temptation in the desert, and he had trespasses on the cross. Jesus had trouble in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had temptation in the desert, and he had trespasses on the cross. And if we're going to grow to be like Jesus, God is going to take us through those same experiences. Being a disciple literally means to follow in the footsteps of somebody else. If we're Jesus' disciples, we need to follow in his footsteps through what he went through. Of course, how we then choose to respond to those situations and circumstances is down to us. So firstly, God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. God uses troubles in our lives to teach us to trust him. In the Bible, this this word trouble is often called trials or or, or sufferings. And and trials are situations that God has designed to draw us closer to Him. They're not designed to hurt us. They're designed to help us. The trials and the, the, the troubles that we have in life are used by God to mold us and make us more like Jesus. They're not out to hurt us. They're out to help us because God wants to build character in us. And if we look at Romans 5, we can see how He does that. Look at what it says. Trouble produces what? Patience. And patience produces character. In other words, Christ-likeness. And character produces hope. Now, this is really, really important because I think most Christians, most evangelicals in the West today brought up on a diet of God just wants to fulfill all my needs and make us happy and fulfilled, don't really get this. And when troubles come into our lives, we then are a little bit a sea and we're not, well, you know, my, my, my family members died or I've got cancer or my business has failed. God doesn't love me, surely. And we've bought into the lie of health and wealth and prosperity, thinking that if, you know, that, that for God to really bless me, I'm going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. And then when that doesn't happen, that must mean I don't have enough faith. That's nonsense, by the way. That's not biblical truth. Trouble produces patience. Patience produces character. And character produces hope. God is far more interested in what we are than what we do. 
God is far more interested in what we are than what we do or how we feel. Our Western culture says it's all about how I feel. My feelings are paramount. The Bible says that's nonsense. God is more interested in your character than he is interested in what you do or how you feel. Why? Because the goal of of, of life is character development. The goal of life is to become like Jesus. It's not career development. It's not personal comfort. And until we grasp this, life isn't going to make sense because all kinds of problems are going to come into our lives. And our natural response will be, well, why me, Lord? Why have I got this disease? Why has my brother died? Why has my my mum died? Why has my car off the road? Why has my business failed? And our natural response will be, well, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? As if our lives are supposed to be lives of comfort. But the goal of life isn't comfort. This isn't heaven. If you love Jesus, then you're going to spend eternity in a place with no problems and no trials. And that's going to be great. But we're not there yet. We're here. And this isn't the comfort zone. This is the character development zone. So we're going to face troubles. We'll experience suffering. But Romans tells us that troubles or suffering produce patience. Patience produces character and character produces hope. Every single problem in your life has a purpose. It doesn't matter whether you caused it or somebody else caused it or whether Satan caused it. Every problem has a purpose. And that purpose is to make us like Jesus. One of the greatest moments of trouble for Jesus was the night before he was crucified. He knew what he was going to have to face the next day, and the intensity of that turmoil in his heart was enormous. He was going to take the sin of the world upon himself. He was going to die a horrible death by crucifixion. And the real question was, would he trust his heavenly Father? Would he trust God to know what's best for his life, even if it meant an extremely painful death, even if it meant being separated from his Father in some way that we can't really understand? And so he took his disciples to a grove of olive trees called Gethsemane, and he faced up to the awfulness of what lay ahead. The stress and the anguish became immense. And at one point he said this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is major trouble. Jesus wasn't having a good time. And maybe sometimes you feel like that when you feel like you're drowning under the the weight of stress and worry, and you question whether you can carry on. But look how Jesus responded to trouble in the next verse. Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Can we get that verse up, Emmanuel, please? Thank you. Isn't it great to know that when we're experiencing troubles and trials and suffering, that it's okay to say to God, God, I don't like this. I'm not enjoying this. This is not fun. Please take this away from me. Because Jesus said that. And even when, like Jesus, when he was on the way to the cross, when he was on the cross itself, he could cry out, why? Why is this happening to me? Now, Jesus knew what was going on. Of course he did. He knew what, why he had to be forsaken by his father. But what Jesus was expressing was that he wasn't enjoying this. This was horrendous. Why? Jesus honestly expressed the pain and suffering he was experiencing, but then he chose to surrender to God's plan. He was willing to surrender to whatever achieved his father's purposes. Now, here's the first point. If we're going to become like Jesus, we've got to learn to trust God completely, even when things look terrible. Because God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. God uses troubles in our lives to teach us to trust him. It's easy to trust God when everything's great, isn't it? It's, it's, it's 
so easy to, to come and say, yeah, of course I trust God when everything is wonderful and everything's difficult. The real test of our faith is how do we react when everything is going wrong and, and, and we feel awful? Then we'll see where our faith is really. When we face and we go through troubles, which we will do, as hard as it may be, we need to remember that God is teaching us to trust Him and He's helping us to become more like Jesus. In Romans 5 verse 3, Paul begins the verse with the word troubles and he ends it with the word hope. Troubles or suffering produce patience. Patience produces character and character produces hope. This morning, if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, then he has given you a wonderful future hope, a certain future of an eternity in heaven with him. So we need to remember the reward. We need to remember the reward. The reward when life is difficult, when we're suffering, when we're going through troubles, remember that reward. God is not a sadist. The troubles and the sufferings that He allows us to experience and that He brings into our lives are there for our good. They might not feel like it to us, but that's what the Bible teaches. And if we choose to grow and develop through the troubles that we experience, then He's going to reward us in eternity. When we have, a, we have a real choice when we face troubles, we can have a victim mentality, we can blame God, we can reject God, or we can humbly submit to His plans and His purposes. And we can say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, none of this makes any sense to me, but in humility I will trust you and believe that all things work for my good, even though this right now is horrendous for me. In eternity, God is going to reward our character development. The Bible says this, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says, you know what? What we're going through isn't going to last. It's difficult, it's horrible, it's hard, but it's not going to last forever. And even if it lasted for a lifetime, that is nothing compared to the years that we're going to spend in eternity. And that is spiritual maturity. Realizing that we're not living for the here and now, that this world is not all there is, that my comfort is not my number one goal, and it certainly isn't God's. Living in the light of eternity, living by faith in the future, fixing our eyes on Jesus, as Keith brought to us just a few weeks ago. Living by faith in the future and not by sight on the, in the present. And yes, there's tough things going on in our lives. And if there's not today, there will be next week or next year. It's a guarantee. It's just life. And we'll all experience troubles of one sort or another, but God is using them all to make us like Jesus. And some of those things we will never really understand. Some things in life we go through and think, yeah, I can see now what God was doing. It was horrible, but I can see now the point of that. Some things that have happened in my life, I have no idea what God was doing. And I still don't understand why this happened or why that happened. But in faith, we believe that when we get to heaven, then we'll understand. And some things in life we will never understand this side of glory. But in faith, we cling on believing God has a purpose. God is not a sadist. God is trying to make me become more like Jesus. And the only person that can stop that process happening in life is me. The only person that can stop that happening in your life, you becoming like Jesus, is you. There's a second surprising way that God works in our lives to help us become more like Jesus. He uses our temptations. God uses temptations to teach us to obey him. Now, it's important to be really clear about temptations. God never tempts us to do evil. Temptations are situations designed by Satan, and they're intended to harm us. The Bible is very clear about that. But God is able, because of the greatness of his power, because of his sovereignty, to use Satan's temptations for our good in our lives, because temptation always provides a choice. 
And when we choose for God, rather than choosing for Satan, Satan's plan is ruined, and we begin to grow a little bit further in our faith. We grow a little bit more like Jesus. Jesus faced temptations. He never sinned, but he faced temptations. And the Bible says that those temptations caused him great suffering. Hebrews 2.18, which we looked at a few months ago, he himself suffered when he was tempted. And if Jesus suffered when he was tempted, then it's not surprising that we will also suffer and that we do suffer when we're tempted. Right at the very beginning of his public ministry in his early 30s, Jesus went through an intense 40-day period of temptation out in the desert. And that wasn't the only period of temptation, but it's the, the one that we get kind of most information about. Look at what it says in Matthew 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit actually led him to that, but knowing that he would come through that. And if Jesus faced temptations, and if we're meant to be following in Jesus' footsteps as his disciples, then guess what? You and I are going to face temptations too. And that's because we're meant to be following in Jesus' footsteps. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's important to stress, though, that it's not a sin to be tempted. Being tempted is not sinful. Jesus never sinned, yet he was tempted in every way, just as we are. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It's what we do with a temptation. The issue is what we choose to do with it. And that's a choice that only we can make, and nobody else can make that choice for you or for me. One of the ways that Satan deceives us is that he makes us feel like our temptation is harder and more difficult or perhaps unique to everybody else's. No one else has ever been tempted like this before. That's the kind of deception that Satan gives to us. But the Bible says that no matter how bad you think the temptations that you face are, many, many other people will have been tempted in exactly the same way. We all face temptations, and God is able to help us through those temptations. He always provides a way out for us, but we have to choose to take it. Remember that God wants you, he wants me to become like Jesus, and the only person that can prevent that happening is you. We have to make the choice to say no to temptations. And it's important to remember that Jesus teaches us by the, the very way that he lived that every temptation is an opportunity to do good, to make the right choice. It's a stepping stone to becoming more like Jesus. Look at what Jesus did when he was tempted in Matthew 4 verse 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus confronted the temptation. He took every thought captive, as Paul talked about in Corinthians. And here's the point. Temptation always tests whether we love God more than what is on offer to us. That's what's happening when we're being tempted. Satan might have other plans, uh, but what's happening from God's point of view is a test. Do we love God more than what's on offer? So it was a test of what we love most in our life. When we're tempted by money, we have to decide whether we love money or God the most. When we're tempted by a wrong relationship, perhaps with a non-Christian, or to have a sexual relationship before or outside marriage, the question is, which do I love the most, the person or God? Which do I love the most, the sexual experience or God? Obedience, choosing to, say, choosing to say yes to God, is a matter of love. It's not a matter of duty. It's a matter of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So every temptation is an opportunity to show God that we love him more than the temptation. One of the tools I would recommend in dealing with temptations is to talk about them with someone that you can trust. When you bring things out into the light and God's light is shone on them, then they are diffused. They are weakened. It's good to get a spiritual partner, somebody of the same sex, ideally somebody who's older or certainly wiser or more experienced in life. 
None of us like to talk about our temptations. We're embarrassed. Our, our pride is hurt. But one of the ways to defeat our temptations is to be open about them. Be careful who you share them with, for sure. But to be open about them and to bring them into the light. Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 4, you're better off to have a friend than to be all alone. If you fall, your friend can help you up. One of the biggest temptations for both men and women today is the challenge of internet pornography. Over 50% of Christian men in churches like ours admit to regularly accessing pornography online, and one in four church leaders in evangelical churches admit to regularly visiting porn sites. This is a massive and destructive problem so I want to suggest a really helpful solution to this problem. It's one that I use. There's a number of accountability software packages available, and I've put two of the websites on your outlines for you. Check those out. If you want me to be your partner, uh, that's fine. If you find somebody else to be your accountability partner, but, but get into a relationship with someone and, and, and diffuse the temptation. simply means that your accountability partner gets a report on a regular basis of everything that you look at online. And for most people, just the knowledge that somebody else is aware of what you're doing and what you're looking at is enough to diffuse the problem. Temptations provide a choice, but we can make that choice even before we face it by putting safeguards in place and by making ourselves accountable to others, and then by taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. The third thing that God uses to help us become more like Jesus are trespasses. God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. The word trespasses is an old word that we don't tend to use much these days, but to trespass is to cross a line. Trespassers will be prosecuted. In other words, don't come on my land, I'll shoot you, or I'll take you to, or I'll have you arrested, that kind of thing. It's somewhere we shouldn't go, or it's a line we shouldn't cross, something we shouldn't do. And, and in the context of the Bible, the word is used to describe sins that we commit against God or sins that we commit against other people, or, or perhaps sins that are committed against us. And when we're trespassed against, it's when other people sin against us. It's when they hurt us, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally. Being sinned against without retaliating is one of the most important and difficult steps in becoming like Jesus. But Jesus never asks us to do what he hasn't already done himself. Look at Luke 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. What was Jesus' response to trespasses? He set aside his right to get even. He absorbed the hurt. He put up with the pain. He responded to evil with good. And if we're going to grow spiritually, and if we're going to become more like Jesus, we're going to have to learn to do the same thing. The reality of life is that we're all going to get hurt at some point or other. This isn't heaven. This is a fallen world. You will hurt people. Other people will hurt you. Mostly that will be unintentional. Occasionally it will be intentional. And if we're going to become like Jesus, we have to learn to forgive because forgiveness is one of the most primary qualities of God. Forgiveness is one of the primary qualities of God. We are never more like Jesus than when we're forgiving somebody who has sinned against us. Let me repeat that. We are never more like Jesus than when we are forgiving somebody that has sinned against us. If you want to be like Jesus, forgive those who sin against you. So God allows hurt into our lives in order to help us become more like Jesus. 
He doesn't approve of the sin. He doesn't approve of the trespasses. But he allows those in order for us to grow, to give us an opportunity to forgive, to be like Jesus. Every sin or trespass against us, as unpleasant and as sometimes terrible as it can be, is actually an opportunity to grow more like Jesus. Now, I want to suggest two things which can help us in this area. Number one, remember that God has forgiven me. When we're struggling to forgive those who've sinned against us, it's so important, isn't it, that we remember that God has already forgiven us. Who am I to withhold forgiveness to someone else when God has already forgiven all my sins, not just one little thing? The Bible says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God will never ask us to forgive anybody more than we've already been forgiven by him. The second helpful thing is to remember that God is in control. God is sovereign. And we're being hurt by somebody else. Yes, they may have meant it for bad, but God will use it for good in our life. And many of you know the story of Joseph. I mentioned this last week. Sold by his brothers into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison. But God rescues him and makes him into the second most powerful man on the planet. And when he and his brothers are reunited, he doesn't retaliate. He had all the power to do that. I probably would have done. Many of us probably would have done. But Joseph doesn't do that. Listen to what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God wants to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's true, which it is, then he's going to take us through similar experiences to those that Jesus went through. He'll take us through a Gethsemane an experience of trouble where we can learn to trust his love. He'll take us through a desert, an experience of temptation where we can learn to obey him. And he's going to take us to the cross, a time of trespass where we can learn to forgive. Discipleship, the process of becoming like Jesus, is often really difficult and it involves God disciplining us to help us grow and develop. Discipleship isn't just a course. Discipleship isn't a book. It's not a program. They are all part of that. Discipleship is God's discipline in my life and yours to help me and you become like Jesus. And God's number one goal in our lives and for our lives is for us to become like Jesus. And the only person that can prevent you from becoming like Jesus is you. The only person that can prevent that happening in my life is me. But one day, when Jesus returns, we will be completely transformed into the likeness of of Jesus. The Apostle John writes these words, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And in that moment, all the pain will be gone. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more temptations. Satan will be dealt with and our sins will be gone forever and we will be like Jesus. But in the meantime, we're not in the comfort zone, we're in the character development zone. So we fix our eyes on Jesus we focus on him, we wait for his appearing, and we seek to live like him and become more like him. Let's just take a moment to pause and reflect on what we said this morning. What is God saying to you this morning? Maybe you're going through some really difficult stuff right now in your life. And if you're not now, you will have been in the past and you will again in the future. It's inevitable. Will you trust God with those situations? Will you learn from them and grow from them? in humility and in faith, maybe just clinging on by your fingertips, making that choice to become more like Jesus.
going to pray and then the band are going to come and lead us. And then after the band have led us, the, there'll be prayer ministry at the front. Uh, Alicia and uh, David are going to be down at the front this morning. So if you want to come down and be prayed for, maybe there's stuff going on in your life, some of the kind of things that we've looked at this morning, and you just want someone to pray for you, to lift you up before God's throne, then do come and be prayed for. They'll be down here at the front, and they'll be here for a while afterwards, so don't rush off. Um, if someone's with them, just take your time and then come down, and they'll be delighted to pray with you. But let me pray for us all this morning. Father, we want to become like your wonderful son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for his sacrificial death for us there on the cross. We thank you for what he did for us. We want to become more like him. Lord, we realize that that is not straightforward. It's not easy. And you often bring difficulties and, and troubles and, and temptations and trials into our lives and able to help us grow and become more like him. So, Father, please give us the grace. Please give us the strength. Help us to trust you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those this morning who are going through illness or financial difficulty or relationship problems or perhaps other problems at work or in the family. Lord, would you give them strength? Would you help them, I pray? Help them to trust in you. Help them to fix their eyes on Jesus, we pray. Lord, we acknowledge that we are not the finished article, that there's much to do in our lives. So purify our hearts, we pray. Help us to become like that, that uh, silver, that gold being burned up, being purified so that we become more like Christ. Purify our hearts, we pray, that we might become more like Jesus. Lord, we ask it in his name. Amen.